what is going on everybody welcome aboard the soul train we've got another episode of thirsty smurfing thursday and on the stream before the stream here demay said he had something for me upon start and so if we can cut the cameras over to demay real quick look uh, now see oh I went up, my listen, what listen. I went on the what, tubes. What, what, I went. What, I went what, on the tubes. What? It's fall, right? It's soccer season, right? So helping coach the kids' soccer team, and I wanted to watch some soccer coaching videos, right? Figure out a better way to coach soccer. So as I was going through the soccer coaching videos, I stumbled upon this other video from the same guy about doing a hard cut. So I went on and I did a hard cut. I don't know if it's the right time of year to do a hard cut, but I did it. I feel pretty good, and we'll see what the results are. Really looking forward to it. Happy to be yeah. here. Go ahead. It looks nice, and I would say that after gonna, that hard of a cut, it's gonna it's gonna come in with some good color. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's yeah. I'm I'm proud of what you did. You look great, and uh, yeah. kudos kudos to you, sir. There's nothing wrong with a hard cut every now and then, hitting hitting a little it's reset good, on yeah. the on the beardo. Yeah, hard cut. Got the soccer coaching videos. Hoping to find some stuff about pan and gold or some identity theft stuff here in the future. So <laughs> really, really looking forward to it. Gentlemen, it's good to be here. I digress. Go on. Yeah. So uh also our other co-host tonight is going to be the none other than the none other than the green doc, Mr. Ray Ito. How are you doing tonight, Ray? I'm doing well, and I think uh I think I'm gonna be doing even better uh by tomorrow or Monday, because uh, Matt Eagle has landed. Ooh, tell everybody what you got, right? Okay. I got a 1997 Toro GM1000 uh, with the groomer, and it is at the freight terminal right now in Honolulu. That is what and, I am talking about. <laughs> oh, and <clears throat> after I get off the show, the show tonight and the after show, I'm going to be fitting up, Ryan, I think you're going to know what I'm talking about, the black bed bar with the oh. uh, razor, razor steel bed knife. Damn. I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'm no, excited. Ryan, Ryan for knows what you. he No, Ryan knows what he what I'm talking about because I think Ryan <laughs> it can't stand up right now. Yeah. It's <laughs> listen, listen. Remember how you always Ryan say did. that Ray, Ray has found like there if if Ray had a Marshall stack of amplifiers behind him if he was playing on the sold out arena tour. He would find a way to put a 15 knob right where everybody else has a 10. So kudos, Ray. <laughs> I hope you, I hope you sell out all the all the Big Island or excuse me, all the Oahu dates right on the right here. Very excited for it. Can't wait. Yeah. Kudos, kudos to you, Ray. That, that was bizarre. Sorry, I had some audio issues there. And gentlemen, our guest of honor tonight. Drum roll, please. Jordan B. <laughs> What's Cheers, up, good, sir? 
thank you for taking the time out of your life to come on here and hang out with a bunch of degenerates like us. Um, unfortunately, this classifies you as also a degenerate. So I apologize in advance because we know in your heart, we know in your heart, you're not one. However, externally, you have been reclassified. Yeah, Sorry. You're slumming tonight. <laughs> oh, I'll no, fit right in. Yeah, you got you to gotta tell everybody what you got in the glass right now because, you know, I see you drinking and you got to share what's in it. <laughs> A little Maker's Mark and Dr. Pepper. That's what I'm talking about. So you would be great friends with Castleberry because he has a thing <laughs> with Dr. Pepper, right? Is, yeah. is Dr. Pepper your thing? Oh, yeah. Mixed or unmixed. I'm, I'm a Dr. Pepper everywhere I go. That or sweet tea. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because if anybody can't hear it right now, that is a Southern accent we do hear <laughs> from Yard Envy. So I am not just a little on bit. The show, and I'm as proud as I could possibly be that we've got another down Southerner on the show with us. And he's not just from anywhere down South, sir. Oh, yeah. You got to tell everybody what state you're from. South Mississippi. Yes! We've got another one, boys. We've got another one. We've got Hungry Southerner. Now we've got Yard Envy. F you to the rest of everybody in the surrounding states. You don't know what you're missing out until you've spent a week in Mississippi, especially South Mississippi, which is completely different than North Mississippi. I will say that. But there are tinges that kind of bleed over and cross over that feel similar, right? Um, yeah. It's just one, you know, you've got the ocean in play, and then the other one, you've got the Mississippi River in play, which is kind of like the ocean if you grow up on the Delta. You know, it's one in the same, right? When I think of the Gulf right. of Mexico, I can't help but also think the Mississippi River. It's like the same thing. Sandy beaches, uh, clear water, beautiful women in bikinis everywhere. I mean, that's that's, that's Mississippi in, in general there. I usually can't. No, our beaches are muddy. We go to Florida. <laughs> because, we're, yeah, you go to Florida for the party, but you know that all of the beaches in Mississippi are sandy. They're beautiful white sandy oh, yeah. beaches. It doesn't get any better. Oh, yeah. So how about, how about that? Ray, Ryan, do y'all feel intimidated? Because you should. <laughs> yeah, I, gotta, I, can, I don't even get to swim in the Gulf of Mexico. I got to go to a Great Lake. It's the best I can do, man. Sorry. Yeah. What is it? Frozen like 60% of the year? It doesn't freeze that often. Uh, maybe like once every 10 years, but no, dude, it's nice here right now. It's like 80 degrees right here. I mean, it's, it's been a warm fall. So I'm excited though, because, uh, well, why don't Matt, why don't you tell, uh, tell yard envy, Mr. Envy here, how, you got all up in his duts and 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 had a, and got a crush on him. Once you lay lay out, you don't have to go through all the details, but you know. Yeah, no. I, so I uh, I heard your accent and I knew immediately that you were from Mississippi. I mean, I called it. it was gentlemen? Did I not say that? I said this game recognized family. game. Yeah, I said this guy's family. He's from Mississippi. Watch this shit. We got to get him on the fuck on the sorry on the show. Uh, because I just, I get it. I, this guy is, we are, we are synonymous. We are one in the same here. So, uh, anyway, that was, 
that was what prompted us to reach out and say, damn it, you can come on the show. So that way I'm not the only one backed into a corner over here swinging at anything getting in my way. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, Ryan, get your shit, to get you another, get you a beer, but you keep your shit together over there because we're on, we're on fair grounds tonight. You hear me? Uh, <laughs> India, are you into college football? Uh, no, I'm not. But, uh, here recently I've, I've started getting into it and I mean like last week. So. Okay. Are <laughs> you, are you an Ole Miss guy, Mississippi state? Where are you leaning? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm going to support the home teams. You know, I haven't really picked one yet. I'm still shopping. There you go. There you no go. Aggie. I know- no Aggies though. Thank you. We can all agree on that. Did anybody see the Twitter video the other day that said uh, something along the lines of, uh, you know, how can this school still recruit? And it was a, it was like oh, a Texas a recruiting video. It was, was that the kid that was talking or whatever, like the college kid talking? About, yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, it yeah, was yeah. weird. It was, it was weird. weird. Was it Yale practice? No, it, it wasn't. It might have been at Yale practice. I don't know, but this dude. <laughs> I definitely either was beaten uh, frequently by his parents or had done by assaults right before coming to the event because he was in another planet, man. Like it was, that was weird. That's not turf related. We'll, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that in the after show. That'd be a good after show content to watch and <clears throat> pick this kid apart and, you know, let him know that he's not going to be in a safe space. <laughs> Uh, all right, so let's. I guess we'll let's start talking about a little law and stuff here. Somebody yeah. said Texas A and M is a cult. That's Colby. Yeah, I hear you, man. A lot of f the Aggies in the chat. So, wow, I'm glad there are people out there that are noble and great and productive in this world. Um, <laughs> so how how did you find your way into the yard? And and wait, wait, hang on. Before you answer that, do you enjoy mowing your yard? Oh, absolutely. Daily. Okay, so that's one thing we don't have in common. Daily. I hate mowing my grass, but how did you get into your yard? Man, I I started like with my riding mower, like anybody else, just, you know, mowing in a circle, uh, double cutting the grass clippings, whatever. But I was just cutting my grass, you know. And then uh, it all started with one Google search, which was uh, how do you get stripes in your grass? And then... I just, it was just Google search after Google search after YouTube after Ryan Knorr, Connor Ward, Lawn Tips, uh, The Grass Factor, just just uh, on and on, just soaking up information. And my wife makes fun of me. Uh, when I get into a hobby, I just go all the way in. So, uh, and I was like, you know, I'm just going to like make a YouTube channel and document what I do and, and help those people that. Uh, think that regular grass is a grass type, you know, and uh, and then here I am, you know, because you get a lot of people that uh, what kind of grass do you have? Well, it's just regular grass, you know, it's just regular. So that's a true. I just started that journey. I started that journey and learned as I went and I'm still learning and got a lot a long ways to go. I'm just a year and a half, two years into it. So. It is that that initial uh, uh, 
fire that gets lit, you know, is, is sometimes for, for, for some people that are, that are built like us, you know, it burns really bright and really hot. It's uh it's like an oxy settling torch with, with a bunch of oxygen running to it. Right. And for some people, it's just like running a settling without any, uh, without any oxygen on it. You know, you usually get these floaties that just kind of fly off everywhere and that's where they are. So I'm, I'm glad you're part of the oxygenated oxyacetylene torch crew here. <laughs> All right. So oh, yeah. you, you made, you made this search and you, you dived into it and you're like, you know what, here we go. We're in for the ride. Talk to oh, us yeah. about some successes and some failures you had early on. Uh, well, the first thing I realized is that uh, centipede bahia grass mix uh, will not stripe too well. So, mm. uh, <laughs> so I decided to uh, overseed with Bermuda, Scott's uh, mm. Golden Glove Bermuda. Oh, it was horrible. <laughs> I can't believe I'm even saying this in public. Uh, <clears throat> but and then I was like, so then I, that's when I found out you have to have a certain terp types, uh, terp types, uh, stripe better and all that, because that was my initial goal, find, you know, a way to get the stripes. And then, uh, so I proceeded with that. And then it was so much prettier than that garbage that was out there. And then I found Quinn Clorac. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I got rid of everything I didn't want and uh, <laughs> left the Bermuda. <laughs> uh, so, and then I was like, oh, this Bermuda sucks. So uh, I overseeded the Golden Glove with uh, perennial ryegrass and uh, 3G from uh, Seed Superstore. I'm not, that has nothing to do with me. Uh, ordered it from there, put that out, and I was a professional. At that point, I mean, I was like, I did it. I'm a pro, you know, and uh, and then uh, I was like, OK, but this is going to this is going to go away when it turns 117. So uh, then I found me a, another uh, strand of Bermuda and uh, went with Arden 15. And that's where we are today. Arden 15. Did you spray out the perennial ryegrass, or did you just let the heat take care of it? Oh, I let the heat take care of it, which was a bad idea. Yeah, tell me mm-hmm. about that. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a video, and uh, the thumbnail actually shows how horrible it was. the The Bermuda would not come back, but it looked like. Uh, just dead ryegrass uh, spots under the trees still made it, but the ryegrass I kept holding on to it because it was so pretty. I didn't want to let it go, and then mm-hmm. uh, and then whenever the heat finally killed it, there was like no Bermuda left. It was in spots, and uh, I just that's when I had to back up and punt. You know, <laughs> I like the analogy. Okay, that's, so that's one of the weird things about about Bermuda grass and perennial ryegrass. I, I so I have, I've had, I can't tell you how many uh, negative situations of trying to let heat uh, take care of perennial rye. It just, well, 
I, I would say I've had more negative experiences than I have had positive experiences. There have been on occasion from time to time where it seems to do like it's supposed to the ryegrass dies and you're, you're in the clear, you know, and, and you really do feel like a rock star. Um, I noticed it more. Well, I didn't overseed a lot of perennial ryegrass in Knoxville. Um, I ran into the issue. Uh, I, I mean, in, when I was in Memphis, when I was in, uh, Augusta is where, you know, everybody wants green grass for, uh, the, the, uh, masters, right? The whole city wants green grass for the masters. And so a lot of people with warm season grass overseed with perennial rye. And, uh, the, 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 everybody knew to oversee with perennial rye, but when you would sell the concept of spraying out the perennial rye, everybody was like, why would I do that? The heat's going to take care of it. Right. And then what would happen is, is you would go through this extended period of time between you know may 31st and um you know we'll say labor day of just carnage chaos in no matter chernobyl how, <laughs> chernobyl no has a different hard, meaning amongst it so. <laughs> no matter how hard you 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 try and fertilize it out you go out there and you put down two pounds in from urea and you try and burn it out or whatever it just it continues to hang on. The Bermuda does not feel like it wants to to creep into these areas, and you just go through this period of significant decline. And that was where it started my thinking there. And then, especially when I moved into Knoxville, where it's a little bit cooler climate than than Augusta, it was even more pronounced. And you know, it never would it would check out in the summer, but it, I mean, it would like cause major major issues to Bermuda grass, and uh, and that was when. You know, it really solidified my opinion that 100% you have to spray out perennial ryegrass, especially these new cultivars that are so hardy in even extreme Mm -hmm. situations. You know, it's not, this is not the perennial rye of the 80s. You know, this is a a totally different deal here that can tolerate some pretty significant extremes. So interesting you ran into that in your area because I know it's hot as hell where you are too. Oh, yeah. See, I was in a wormhole on YouTube at like 3 in the morning one time, and I was watching Pete uh, with GCI Turf, and he said he had held on to his perennial too long, and it affected his Bermuda. And he said he talked to Matt about it, and I didn't know if he was talking about you. said that perennial ryegrass has a chemical reaction and will kind of poison the Bermuda and hold it back. Is that true? Yes. Yeah, so Pete and I, we had mm-hmm. a long conversation about this, and it's called, it's got a real funny name, allelopathy, allelopathy, however you want to pronounce it. Um, but the uh, the perennial ryegrass will emit as a bit of a, a stress response, um, a compound that is toxic. And I don't, I don't think it's juglone. Do you remember the name of the compound, Ray? I looked it up at one time. Juglone is what comes well, from like uh, walnut trees. Walnut trees. Walnut trees. I, I forgot what that compound is, but all I know about perennial rye is, believe it or not, I often suggest that to people that are transitioning from, say, one type of Bermuda or a zoysia lawn into another variety of Bermuda next spring. And you know what I tell them to do? Overseed with rye. Overseed. Overseed with rye in the winter, uh, put all the herbicides on the rye that the Bermuda and the Zoysia hate, and then 
come spring, smoke the rye, and you're able to establish your Bermuda or whatever into a clean area where the allelopathy has almost taken care of whatever you don't want because allelopathy, I think, against zoysia is even stronger than the allelopathy that rye exhibits against Bermuda because I keep on hearing about how if you want to jack up your zoysia lawn, overseed with rye in the fall, it might never come back out of it next year. 100%. I saw that in Georgia more times than I care to admit of people who thought it was a great idea to overseed their zoysia with perennial ryegrass and the lawn just never mm-hmm. did, never did come back. You may see it come back along the edges of the driveway and the uh, 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 impermeable surfaces, right, that attract a lot of heat. But throughout the center of the yard, you know, you may have a total of 10, 15 square feet of grass left out of 3,000 square feet. It just, it does not play well with zoysia grass at all. And, uh, and, that, and this is a good, good tidbit and a good learning uh, 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 topic of conversation here for people who, uh, have zoysia grass that get this wild hair up their ass that they want to oversee it with perennial ryegrass. Do not do it, especially invest in you, green paint. Invest yeah, in green paint. Into, that's that's uh, my word. <laughs> uh, centipede or Saint Augustine. Don't do that either. Uh, I had a long conversation with Paul Outlaw with a guy who uh, had some uh, uh, Saint Augustine that they overseeded with ryegrass and. And I think that was like two years ago. Paul, if you're listening, text me. I think it was like two years ago. And when we were talking about it this spring, I think he said it still was too jacked up. Like it just has not recovered really at all yet. Uh, So don't, don't do it. It works with Bermuda grass and you got to understand you got to spray it out early. Uh, And by early, I'm saying before the Bermuda greens up, Um, if you don't, then you're only buying you're only uh, digging your hole deeper into the growing season of bermuda yeah i wonder if that could be correlated with growing degree days when to appropriately spray out ryegrass it's kind of technical but surely there's a way to do that right fall temps maybe i think soil temps would still be too variable I think you hey, might have to <laughs> think on that exp- keystone, huh? Go ahead. Explain, explain growing degree. De- uh, explain GDD for us idiots. Growing degree yeah. days is going to be the accumulation of days over a certain average temperature, uh, and as long as you are over that temperature, it correlates with a certain amount of potential growth that occurs. Is that? If that makes sense, kind of. So it's kinda. like, yeah, cum- it, it's like math, right? It's cumulative. Is that right? Yes. Cumulative. Yes. Yes. So an expression. Like of way, oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not, it's a way it's a way to express heat energy, right? That we gain over the course of a growing season, right? So starting with the first day that we cross over the threshold of these base temperatures. And those might be 32 degrees Fahrenheit. It could be 50 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, you know, some are even higher depending on what type of plant material growing. But the whole point being is that you can uh, basically use 
a calendar here. Jay Pink, I'll send you a, a quick thing here real quick. But there's a whole thing called the phenological calendar, right? So phenology is the study of emergence based on certain heating degree days or uh, growing degree days, I should say, for certain things to happen. So like maple buds to break or, um, you know, certain insects to emerge, things like that. So we can time these things up and have a reasonable expectation of when they might take place in our environments, our local environments, right? Because, you know, obviously Southern Mississippi, you're going to heat up way sooner than we will up here in central Ohio. And so, you know, you kind of see this progression from South to North, right? As we heat up and then as things start to go dormant, right? It goes from the other direction. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. I think that's a, I'm sure it could be done. I think uh, I think some of it would depend on cultivar too, right? Because you're going to have cultivars that green up earlier than others. So modeling this all out and just saying, you know, sort of stereotypically or generally across the board, it's this, I think may be difficult. Um, yeah, because you know, Tahoma is going to have a totally different uh, green up. Tahoma or, or Tiftep will be totally different than Common or 419, you know? Go get you some Baymont, you know? How about that? You don't see Radies, do you, I haven't heard you that name. I haven't <laughs> heard that name in ages because Vermont was old sports field Bermuda. That's what yeah, that was an old variety. It, what are you talking about? You never had Vermont Bermuda grass? Never seen Hell that? Hell no. Hell no. Oh yeah, that's uh, West Virginia, Virginia, North Carolina, the Piedmont, all down there. Yeah, yeah, it's a real thing, dog. So, no, for, you know, for yard envy's sake, like, yeah, spraying this stuff out, like, to me, it's a no-brainer. I look at this as a plant health thing, right, where there's a certain point where you got to cut the rye loose, you know, you got to let the, you got to let it go, take old, take old yeller out in the woods, right, put a bullet in, right, and that's just what's got to happen, so you keep that. You know, those sulfonylureas. Ray, what do you what do you think about that? Is there and I know Matt and Matt's talked about it before too, but if if for you guys, you know, you take some, you know, dipshit like me who's growing Bermuda grass in Ohio, just for the you know, I wouldn't say the fun of it, but it has a useful purpose, versus somebody mm-hmm. down in southern Mississippi, does it change your selection on the sulfonylurea you're gonna use to go ahead and spray that out? Or nope. you just you don't nope. care? There you I go. Just send it. And in fact, I I gotta share with you a tank mix that I uh, applied not too long ago that involved green paint, celero, a little bit of Celsius, and some sulfentrazone. And you know what my reasoning for doing that was? So that as the nutsitch and crabgrass died. They wouldn't see the discoloration because of the green paint. Uh, uh. Yeah, I do. I, think... I, Go ahead. And the reason why I'm I'm even bringing this up is if you're worried about yellowing out and then killing the rye before the Bermuda has had a chance to truly, you know, wake up and come up. I could see spiking green paint with something like Monument or MSM and just sending it. 
So while the rye is dying, you wouldn't know the difference because everything is green from the paint. Hmm. Man. Well, there you go. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's, that's, that's a fully involved herbicide application um, and well thought out, to, too. To, to tap in on that, I will say this is everyone yeah. I know who has sprayed metsulfuron methyl recently as a, um, uh, as a standalone product to transition out uh, ryegrass has 100% not been happy with it. Uh, again, uh, other people I've talked to that used to be able to spray metsulfuron methyl and have a real nice, easy, clean transition um, are not seeing that anymore, especially over the last three years, four years time frame. Why that is the case, I don't know. Is it resistance? I don't know. Is it newer cultivars? I don't know. Um, but it is an interesting observation that I get a whole host of emails about and complaints about as um, as the years have gone on. Now, you know, w- am I a, a one herbicide, you know, application kind of guy? No. You know, I come from the school of Ray, right? The school of Green Doc that is, you know, you, you, you spray things to kill them, not to piss them off, right? And so... Uh, you know, it's when, when you're when you're taking out a bad guy. You know, they they teach to double tap at minimum, right? So, it's same principle when you're taking out uh, uh, something that is non-desirable. You have to at least double tap it, uh, if not you if should. not triple tap it. That's you know just one to be incredibly sure that if I'm putting bullets into someone that they're dropping. Why am I bringing up death? I, I don't know. I was just gonna yeah. say I was gonna make it. I was I had a I had a great joke plan there about you know. You should ask Ray about how he breaks up his girlfriends, and then you went into this death talk and just ruined it because then I was going to make Ray look like some damn domestic violence serial killer, man. Like this escalated real, quickly. Real yeah, buzz kill, this, man. Yeah, this escalated me, fast, didn't it, man? I think, I think we all need to. Have, I think we all need to have a Dr Pepper and a smile here and just chill. All right. Yeah, I need to, might need to I scrape think, my tongue on that one. No, I, I think so. But Nat, you know what I think might possibly be happening is the ryegrass varieties are being bred to be even hardier than the random, you know, non-named cultivars that we used to have 10, 20 years ago. I think they oh, were they're they're bred sure. to be a lot tougher. And you know what? I can foresee the time when <clears throat> This might be a boon to people actually maintaining perennial rye as their desired turf. Imagine perennial rye capable of tolerating up to a half ounce per acre of MSM 60DF. Imagine how wonderful is, that would be. This is no joke right now. Like, um, So that's a couple of years ago. We had a field that we were, we were going to redo but it was it was kind of thin and we went ahead and seeded it with um a named cultivar a very prominent one i'm not going to say which one but mm-hmm. came in great they played spring sports on it we renovated it over the summertime well we go to spray this thing out in the summertime right and go out at i think 64 fluid ounces to the acre on glyphosate everything mm-hmm. else dead poa dead Kentucky bluegrass dead all this stuff this ryegrass is just sitting there chilling like not doing anything at a half a gallon an acre oh yeah so i call i call the seed or the uh, seed company and i'm like listen 
you got to level with me here. Like I just straight up, no, not to go down your road again, but I did what needed to be done. You know, this was like going to the electric chair and the person comes out with a pulse and Mm -hmm. I just got to ask the question, what's going on? They're like, oh yeah, we've seen that before. I'm like, you have like, yeah, we don't publicize that, but we've seen it before. We've seen rates, you know, about that rate and nothing happening to it. So I had to go out and do two more sequential apps to kill it, to finally kill it off. So I think the other thing you're hearing or the other thing you're seeing too is like, so there was, Ray, you're right. I've, I've talked to multiple um seed companies about this in terms of the the days where you know you use cheap crappy transitional rye and it looked like you know it would just look like crap people said well no we need it to be greener we need it to be more disease stronger for winter play stronger yeah. this that the other thing well in doing so you made it harder to kill you made the jean-claude van damme right of printing of rye grasses okay or no it was steven seagal that was hard to kill i take that back he was hard to kill, Steven, right? Steven Seagal or else even Bruce Willis, die hard. Yeah, we're die hard. <laughs> no, the movie Hard to Kill was Steven Seagal. So, you know, we were talking about pulling yeah. hair earlier. He's the one guy you don't pull the hair with. It gets rough, you know? So, yeah. um, don't mess the... with Steven Seagal. You know, he's a Tennessee guy, right? Are you mm-hmm. serious? I think he's got a house in uh, Germantown, uh, really? which is, which is in, in Memphis. Uh, well, clearly he needs to get a place down in southern Mississippi. I mean, yeah, yeah, he, he had needs... a he had a mansion there that he had trouble selling. I could see Steven Seagal being neighbors with like Brett Favre or something like that. You know, seems oh, yeah. seems legitimate. So I heard uh, he was a sheriff in New Orleans. Yeah, Seagal. He, he yeah yeah yes. yeah yeah yeah. He did get involved in law enforcement, something like that. He he, he was an actual sheriff there too. I'm gonna look this up. He was an actual show. Little... <laughs> he had some some crazy stuff going on. I thought. Anyhow, um, but the point is, is like, so no way it swung that way that they have these, you know, these real super juiced up ryegrasses, and now, now alongside of that, they're starting to try and breed these intermediate rye, these transitional rye that look really good, but they're easy to kill. So mm-hmm. that's how far we've come. But you think about this now like a normal overseed rate, let's just say, you know, not the Matt Martin baseball field, 25 pounds per thousand, just <laughs> full send. You know, Matt's out there with the cedar in the fall. He looks like Larry and Ticer on a snowmobile hitting a jump, about to wreck mm-hmm. himself in the air, right? I'm it's just talking about it. like a normal, just, yeah. That's, yeah. that's, oh, wow, hell yeah. So let's just say you go out there at 10 pounds per thousand, pretty light overseed rate these days. That's going to be like, that's 20 bucks right there in seed per thousand square feet. So, you know, we're about $2 a pound right now, pretty close to it on ryegrass. So 20, um, I'm spending 870 bucks, 870 bucks an acre rate just in seed. And then I'm going to go kill it. Right. That's getting wild. And for, even if you're a homeowner, that's getting wild. So I don't know. It's, it's tough. You know, you, uh, the thing I wonder, too, is, and Matt, you would know better than I, is if you had, like, one of these more cold-tolerant uh, Bermuda grasses, what do you think that would be like in southern Mississippi? Like, I'm sure it would go fully dormant for a period, but what, how long, and what do you think that would be like? What do you think the transition would be like if it was not overseeded? Oh, I think it'd be incredible. I, wanted, I, I would love to see that. 
Because I know a lot of people with Tiff Tough in Atlanta, and they just absolutely adore it. Um, so a friend of mine does a lot of commercial work in Atlanta, and uh, and everywhere that he has um, Tiff Tough installed, he said it's at least a month established uh, compared to the other Bermuda grasses, older cultivars. A month month earlier to wake up or a month earlier to go dormant or what or both yeah to to wake up and about a month oh, okay. to, to go dormant too it'll it'll tolerate multiple uh frost before it ends up fully shutting down yeah i mean we've seen that on tahoma for sure like it's you know that first frost i'm not gonna say it doesn't do anything but it's <clears> like it's, it's still very very green i mean we are, i'll give you an example i mean here you know we should be i'll see what the average temperature is but we were green 80% or better green until first week of November in Ohio. So that's what I, that's what makes me think like, okay, Hey, I know, you know, that, uh, Mr. Envy wants to talk about, you know, Hey, what should I be working towards? Right. You know, what's the goal? And, you know, clearly you got to go get some more of that golden gloves from Scott's. I mean, really, you know, the stock price <laughs> is going up and we want to see it go higher boys. We want to see it go through the roof. Yeah. <laughs> But what well, is hard than 15 is holding on. It's holding yeah. on till December. Okay. I mean, yeah, hey, tell me that, what y'all think about Arden 15 because that's one of my questions is I'm thinking about killing all this too. Ray, why don't you give Mr. Envy the background on what the, the pros and cons, the give and take of improved common versus uh, a hybrid Bermuda grass, especially a vegetative hybrid Bermuda grass? Let's start there. Okay. You know, your common Bermudas, even your improved commons, no matter... Like Arden 15. Like Arden 15, no matter what they say about them, they still have the gross habit of common Bermuda, which is a lot of space in between the inner nodes and high vertical growth rate. And because let me ask you this, sir. what do you want out of your lawn as far as height of cut goes? What do you actually want it? Because right now I'm, I'm dealing half with inch. a half inch. Okay. Let me tell you about Bermuda grass from seed. Half inch can be done with it, but it takes a lot more effort to keep it nice at a half an inch versus if you had something like Toma 31 or or one of the newer vegetatively propagated hybrids, because for one thing, iron cutter. Yes. When you're dealing with Bermuda from seed, you're going to be seeing a lot of seed heads. You're going to be seeing a lot of you know, vertical growth. And in addition to that, mm -hmm. you'll notice that once you get it down to a half an inch or shorter, you're walking a tightrope between scalping it thinning it out mm -hmm. and actually having it look green i mean because I, I i'm working with somebody right now where he has a small area of common bermuda and he's asking me why i don't mow that as low as the rest of his turf which is something else and that's because i know that if i get carried away with that common bermuda he's basically going to be looking at brown grass 
and it's going to look at brown every time I mow it. So that's where with the vegetatively propagated variety like, say, Tahoma 31, you can even do that at a quarter inch or 0.2 inches, and it'll still look good. That's what I want. It can, it can be done. Well, then you know what? <clears throat> All I'm going to tell you is refer back to what I said about keeping perennial rye over the winter, and then mm-hmm. you dose that perennial rye with a combination of triclopyr and esophumacete as your wintertime weed control. <laughs> And then come spring, you finally, you know, terminate that perennial rye by any means necessary. And then you and then you establish your Toma 31 or iron cutter or, you know, whatever you can get your hands on. Because I would even go so far as to even want Tifgrand if you can get a hold of it. Because I know Tifgrand loves to be at green height. Yeah, and that's that's the the big thing there is um, these seeded varieties. While they they can tolerate lower heights of cut, they don't necessarily like it, right? So, yeah, no. what you would notice is at at a a half inch versus three quarters of an inch, you get two totally different aesthetics across the lawn. It just it looks like a completely different yard, you know. Versus if you did have a vegetated variety, you're not going to see much difference versus three quarters of an inch and half an inch. And then, you know, really where you're starting to test the, the limits of that vegetative variety, depending on the, the type is, you know, is going to be a half an inch to a quarter of an inch or even lower. Uh, then, you know, you're starting to test some of the limits there of what that grass is genetically bred to be able to tolerate. And you might start running into some weird things where you've got to do weird things to keep it looking at its peak. Right. So as long you know, you really you have to cut to uh, uh, the, the 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 genetic tolerances of the turf type you have, and uh, and you know you can attempt to push it lower. Just understand with with every degree you take it lower, you're adding a degree of complexity, a degree of risk, a degree of unknowns, uh, and just potential mishaps that may take place that's completely beyond your control. That you just got to chalk it up to well. You know, I was doing what was beyond the limit of the grass. And, you know, I came, I saw, I failed, you know, we'll try it again next season kind of sort of deal. there, Right. So it just ups your chances of success. So I'm not going to say, you know, go out, kill everything and, 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 you know, go, um, uh, sprig your lawn with, with whatever it's, it's not necessary. You can still have a nice lawn with Arden 15. You still have a nice lawn with common Bermuda. I've got it. I love it. I, I think it's fantastic. It tolerates anything I want to put on it, literally anything I want to put on it, except except a couple of growth regulators that's neither here nor there. But um, <laughs> it can tolerate a lot of that stuff, right? So, um, you know, I, it's us talking out loud about it right now is kind of helping me form the opinion that, you know, one of the early determinants of whether or not you want to go with a uh, a vegetatively propagated a variety of Bermuda grass or a seed of variety Bermuda grass deals more in with, well, do you want to take it lower than say, you know, three quarters of an inch? And if you do, now oh, yeah. you've fallen into the, to the, you know, sodded or, or vegetated, uh, you know, a sprig variety of Bermuda grass instead of a seeded variety, because 
You're just not going to be able to do that with an improved comp. What about the dwarfs? I dwarfs. Oh boy. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about dwarfs. Let's talk about the true ultra dwarfs because there is a way. That there is a way. That that gets into a different level of complexity because with an ultra dwarf, that is what I call the ultimate commitment. And this is the commitment you make when, say, you bring in something like Champion or Mini Verdi or even Sunday Ultra Dwarf. Uh, imagine growing on a sand base, number one. That's almost required. Number two, regular grooming or verticutting. Number three, regular core aeration, removal of cores, and then refilling those holes with sand. And the reason why you need to do that is because if left to their own devices, the true ultra dwarfs will form such a accumulation of organic matter and thatch that they will literally kill themselves. Whereas Something like, say, your Tiff Grand, and even to a certain extent, your Tiff Green or your Tifton 328, those are considered semi-dwarf Bermudas that I've seen those grasses taken very low, but to me, they're a lot more forgiving in terms of maintenance and management needs. And I'm just saying well, that might fit because my schedule can, too. So, yeah, because I I can tell you that I maintain Tiff Green on a lawn bowling green. I'm not there every day, but I can create an acceptable playing surface with minimal inputs by comparison. So that's just something to consider. I mean, on the other hand, I know that if we if we went, you know, Mini Verdi or or Champion or or Sunday, ugh, I'd be there every day, eight hours a day. <laughs> how how big yeah, of probably- an area would you want to do it? Uh. So my the front yard on the right side of my driveway is seven thousand square foot. Uh, the <laughs> left side is five thousand. So I probably don't need the high maintenance stuff. Uh, probably mild maintenance, something, something that see because of my schedule, you know, it could only be mowed every three days. Uh, so I would need something that could could deal with that, and then I could give it good attention for two weeks and then it could just get mows for two weeks. So, so, you know, to, to, to put like a realistic idea that if you were going to go with a dwarf, uh, variety, you know, first and, and Demay, you tell me if this is a crazy idea here, but you're basically going to have to rebuild this with a, uh, on a sand based growing season. So I'm not saying cap it. I'm saying, Let's excavate out, install some drainage. Uh, let's do a real uh, deal uh, um, 
elevated green. In order I'm to saying the best. Reality. I'm going to say is you know the best bet overall is going to be something like a Tiff Tough, a Tahoma, an Iron Cutter, something like that. In that, that's what it area. sounded like. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I I I think you're going to be happy with just about any of those choices. I don't know that there's it's it's going to be really splitting hairs. I and also too like you know you're like. 800 miles due south of me as crow flies. So, like, I don't really know, right? Um, if I had a YouTube channel, I could I could make all kinds of wild assertions and prognostications <laughs> about how it's going to work for you and, you know, links in the description below. But I'm not going to do that. So, I, you know, I would research it. I would research it. I'd also look and see if you do have some growers nearby. And I, can't, I honestly, in Mississippi, couldn't tell you for sure. Um uh, Pike Creek over in Alabama might be your best bet. Let's see here what they're growing. Are they going to Dell, Georgia? Who am I thinking of? In, who's in Alabama? All right, I'm going to have to look that up. But it might be worth just saying, hey, can I come over and snag just like a piece of size and stick it in the yard? You know, unless you're going to just go full send and just do something and plan ahead for this next year. But in my mind, it's you know if you got some time to kill and you're just kind of figuring stuff out still and getting ready and gearing up, I just get a little bit, you know, a pallet, half a pallet if they'll cut it for you and stick it somewhere in the yard of whatever you think you might want to go with and just see, just see how it manages, maintains, goes through a whole growing season, all that kind of stuff, and then take it from there. What do we got here? Okay. So, and I, I, I bring that up about about like you would have to convert it to a a, a real golf green like growing system. Uh, yeah. Is one to to understand the the complexity and then also the the cost that would go into it as well, right? So, yeah, installation cost you may be upwards of you know five <clears throat> six thousand dollars, and then yearly maintenance cost just for that piece of it may you know be somewhere around like twelve hundred dollars a year just just in terms of the everything that would go into it and the weird one-off uh, uh, especially products that you may need to buy for certain scenarios. And, you know, in the event you yeah. had to run a fungicide program on it, it's going to be significantly more expensive because to get the kind of protection you yeah. need, you're going to have to run some SDHIs and some complex chemistry there. It's a, it's, it's just a, it's a, it's an added layer of complexity that, uh, probably just doesn't make sense unless you want to convert it into a damn golf green. Like like a yeah. fresh like you've got the budget and you've got the staff to turn it into a golf ring kind of sort of deal, right? I wouldn't do yeah, it. Yeah, we're not gonna because, do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not gonna because do that. Guess who is maintaining sixteen thousand square feet of TIFF three twenty eight on dirt? Guess who's doing it? And height of cut is under 0.2 inches. Uh, that's that's you. Yes. <laughs> and I can do it because basically I'm anticipating what the grass is going to do under various conditions, and I can do it because. I understand certain things about growing extremely low-cut grass on dirt. Because in other words, I think I'm 
you know, dealing in that world of how to maintain a what's known in the business as a push-up green. Right, Ryan? Yeah, and not something that you want to do with um, dwarf Bermuda grass. Yeah, you can't really do you can't really do that with ultra dwarf. Uh, if anything, the semi dwarfs are more suited to, you know, that kind of management scheme. You know, it can be done, but you just have to then really be in tune with your grass and, you know, just know what you're getting into. Uh, I will say though, Ryan, that to deal with this grass. I do have an emergency kit for it, Ryan. I do have one, and that Please emergency kit. That emergency Two and a half kit gallons consists of live site. No, <laughs> con- oh. consists of Exterics, Lexicon, no. and thirty-three thirty-six, and Aliette. See, this is where, where all, I'm talking about once. moving into specialty chemistries. Like all yeah, at once. This is not stuff you're going to no. see. Out there advertised the homeowner on hand wire. <laughs> you're going to have to get an account rep in order to to be able to purchase these things. Are are any of those restricted use? They're not, are they? No, no, they're not restricted use. At least not in the south. Although I know that if uh, Yard Envy was on the east coast, I think the diophanate and in fact, no, wait a minute. Almost all of the fungicides except for propiconazole would be state RUP. Once you once you get into like the uh those East Coast states like say Maine, Vermont, and even New York. <clears throat> Did we scare you away from it? Does it does it sound like a oh, yeah. Task? oh yeah. Okay, good. Oh I yeah. Just, I'm, I was done with it like as soon as you said uh, $5,000 worth of drainage and sand, and yeah, I was done with that. I was like, let's, let's go, let's back it up a little bit. Yeah, because I'm going to tell you that for most varieties of Bermuda. Hang on, let Ray twist the knife real quick. Go ahead, Ray. You can actually maintain them very well at about three-eighths to five-sixteenths of an inch. Not quite green height, but still very nice. And, you know, I consider that maintainable on a home lawn type situation. The only other factor is how good a mower you have. I mean, that's just, uh, that's just actually what I've gotten into because, yeah, let's talk about mowers because, uh, Oh, here we go. Oh, I see a Union Jack. Is that a Alley yet? Alley. Yeah. Alley. 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 Yeah. That's an Alley Moore. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I've you, got can, a, you can get some real mowing done. Yeah. I got this, got all the cartridge wait. system with the Scarifier, the Verticutter cartridges, and oh, yeah. pin blade reel and all that. So. You can you can do some mowing with that for sure. Uh, my only question is, how is that going to hold up mowing that much Bermuda long term? And 
the reason yeah. why I ask, the reason why I ask is because I know for a fact that a lot of these import mowers, they're actually purpose built for mowing frequently mowed cool season grasses like rye is a soft grass pint is a very soft grass uh bermuda is a little bit you know more on the durable side and then you want durability then let's talk zoysia that is an extremely durable grass and from what i've seen of zoysia oh by the way ryan Ryan, I had a unique mm-hmm. experience yesterday. What's up, oh, Lord? I, I was out mowing about five thousand square feet of Xeon. Oh, trigger man. warning, Matt. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I to take wait. my headphones off. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> and I was having to do that with a Jacobson five two six. Oh, other one's coming off. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a no for me, dog. No. And here's the thing: <laughs> I was able to do it, but I noticed that that mower was not up for the job, like how my properly modified GM one thousand would be. Well, Zoys is a completely different animal altogether, and and yeah. and, oh, and then, is just garbage. Hope, hopefully, hopefully, while that was all taking place, Sheila had come out of the passenger seat and was running the rotary scissors to trim out the lawn for you while you were doing that. I hope she was. And, that, and that's a callback okay. to everybody for Burn and Return. Check it out, the podcast, Burn and Return, on all your favorite podcast apps, and you can hear the story about Sheila. Okay, and, then, and then thereafter, as soon as I was I done with that, I went, over, I went over to the Bowling Green, and I was... Mowing the bowling green at you know point one five, but there were some a, a couple of patches of zoysia hanging on in the bowling green, and when the when the Jacobson hit those patches, I noticed the engine starting to stall and strain. I, I believe so, it. I don't think that Alec would have any issue with Bermudas, though. Uh, no, it wouldn't. It's striping it pretty good. With... Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think that's that's gonna be fine. You know, and and yeah. if it if it shits the bed at you know eight years down the road, well, you got your absolute money out of it. And, and but I mean, really, the only thing you have to do is put a new real new bed knife. And worst case, it's it's got a Honda motor on it. That motor ain't gonna damn die. Maybe you replace the things like engine... internals or anything. So I think yeah, if nice. you. If you can take care of the reel and the bed knife, right, and know when those wear out and they have a lifespan, 12,000 square feet, if you're legitimately mowing every day or, you know, one out of every three days or whatever it is, I I think it's going to last a good long time, you know, and I'm not sure what their, what their service is like in terms of like when that help educate me because I'm a dipshit when it comes to this, right? Um, When that reel needs to be ground you send it back somewhere do you have to take it somewhere local like i don't understand how Alet and some of these i know like uh there the, what was the what's the other thing i'm thinking of here right Swordman. Swordman. sword you can yeah you yeah. send that back to get ground but what yeah. do you do yeah i haven't Alet? dug into that okay i haven't dug into that yet i've just uh after i back lap it to the max uh i just buy another one yeah <laughs> 
Okay, you know what? <laughs> you know what? You're at Envy. Hmm? You are almost like me and that with my Toro. Once yeah. the reel is beyond the point of a relief grind and, and another backlap, it's called new bed knife, new reel. That's okay. I mean, I just, you know, don't, I don't worry about it. And then for you, though, I don't know how Alet handles their cutting units as far as is the bed knife detachable from the cutting unit because it has to be it has to be yeah because i because i've because that if you're backlapping regularly technically the bed knife wears out before the reel does because by the way guys yeah i I typically change my bed knife three to four times a year wow but you three to four times right you cut a lot i i I don't see a problem with that and and it's it also the kind like of grass. No, and it's also the kind of grass that I'm cutting, Matt. Yeah, that too. Okay, that too. I'll give you that. Okay, I'll give you that. Five about five thousand, no, ten thousand square feet of Xeon, plus another half acre of El Toro, and then <clears throat> half acre of Emerald, and then another, you know, less than half an acre of Bermuda. Yeah, the Bermuda I mean, hurt. Yeah. That's, that's a lot Bermuda of Bermuda hurts the mower. The Bermuda hurts the mower the least. The Bermuda, you know, wears out the the reel the least. So that's the that's the takeaway point for you, Yard Envy, is that because you have Bermuda, you basically have the easy grass to deal with. And oh, Matt, uh, take off your headphones. Because I'm also going to tell you that, you know, if I had a centipede lawn, I would be running the reel on it and I'd smoke the bahia out of it. <laughs> Real quick, has has anybody seen these characters that are real mowing uh, uh, St. Augustine and absolutely slaying it? It looks amazing. Actually, Matt, huh? I get to see that here in Hawaii. Yeah. I get to see that here. I get to see it here. And you know how that happens? I, I get it. Y'all got a link? No, uh, it is because I'll, I'll find one after the show and send it to you. These That's guys are, are killing it. It looks unbelievable at a one inch, one and a quarter inch uh, uh, real mode St. Augustine. I'm, I was so oh, impressed. Mm-hmm. Matt, I got to tell you that what I've told everybody is that you know the three U.S. manufacturers of real mower, the McLean, the True Cut, and the Kel Trimmer. Did you know that they purpose-built their mowers to mow St. Augustine at approximately an inch? That's literally what their machines are designed for. But I've seen real cut St. Augustine too, and the way that it happens is somebody has St. Augustine underneath a tree or a shady area, and because they're mowing the zoisha at about three quarters to a half an inch in the rest of the yard, they don't bother to raise the height of cut very much. And they just go over to the St. Augustine and it happens to look acceptably good. However, in some cases, the Zoisha wimps out 
and the St. Augustine ends up taking taking over the rest of the yard. Let me let me ask you this. Um, so you're you're like for real deal considering smoking it all out and going with the vegetative Bermuda grass, right? Yeah, I'm gonna probably do it in spring. Okay, so as far as do you have a good uh, kind of a, a step by step scenario that you feel like you're gonna follow to do that? I feel like it's the same thing I did with the Arden 15. Uh, just glyphosate it, water it, glyphosate it, scare, uh, dethatch it. I, I rent a dethatcher, belly goat, and I just tear it up, just maul the dirt, just get everything out of it. Rip it. And then, uh, yeah. yeah, I'm talking about like two inches of fluff on top of the ground of just topsoil and just debris. And then get up what I can. And then, uh, now this is what I did for the, for the Arden 15. Uh, at that point, I don't know if there's another process that we need to look at for, uh, sprigging or plugging or, or whatever route I'm going to go. Would you, or you're not going to sod it. I wouldn't do that. A complete sod. No, I would probably uh-huh. plug, like do a, a massive plug job and just grow it in. Sure. It. Yeah. Unless y'all suggest otherwise. Sprig it if you can. And uh, uh, Ryan is, is kind of the king of, of sprigging projects here. He's probably done more in the last oh. year or two years that I've done uh, probably my whole life. Um, so, Ryan, let me ask you this. Prior to or post application of sprigs, are you f- familiar with sprigging and what those projects look like? Jordan? Me? Oh. No, uh, yard in me. Oh. Uh, I've seen hay fields that were sprigged with uh, uh, Bermuda, but I, forage Bermuda. I've just yeah. kind of, and I, I've kind of done it myself in some bare spots. Uh, from whenever I had some long pieces, I'd I'd try to poke it with a just like one sprig at a time, you know, with a screwdriver oh, in the ground, okay. tap it in with my foot, you know, to try to fill in a spot. I've done that. Okay. So yeah. effect, effectively the same thing, but just on a little bit larger scale. My question would be, uh, DeMay, is the necessity of sand in a sprig project, uh, is it there? If it's not there, uh, what would your method of establishment be? I'd still sprig it. I think the biggest thing when you when you go to do this, number one, is going to be irrigation, right? So if you're not going to do in-ground irrigation over 12,000 square feet, that's fine, but you have to have means to water it. So if that means dragging a hose out there, I would not want to move a hose. That would be a considerable pain in the ass. I would look at like some temporary stuff. So just above ground PVC that you Mm -hmm. can detach and, you know, get rid of it when you're all said and done, at least grown in um, and go from there. So irrigation piece is critical because if you don't have water, you can't sprig. I mean, you can't. So that's number one. Number two, if you're on soil, the only thing that gets a little bit tricky from time to time is going to be um, when you need to go out there and push some fertilizer in those first, like, say, four weeks or so. You know, you can get by without having to do it, but you got to dry it out sufficiently that you can take a walk spreader across it to actually put the fertilizer out without caking up mud on the tires and all that kind of stuff. And that can be a little bit problematic, but not the end of the world. 
So the only thing that would be tricky, and I'll ask Ray this, Ray, we're in residential turf on a sprig project. I'm without my favorite tool, right? Oxidizon, Round Star. So what do Round I Star do? G. Okay. What do I do? Oh man! Tell, you know, oh, real you quick, are... real quick, real quick, real quick. So at Yard Envy, Ron Star is a pre-emergent, kind of like Prodiamine, kind of like Dimension or Dithiapir, right? That you use to prevent summer annual grasses from coming in. So in your case, it's going to be goosegrass, Dallas grass, crabgrass, right? Because that's fantastic a lot of fresh product. dirt startup. Yes, it's a fantastic product. However, it is not legal in residential turf. So that leaves us leads us into a scenario that I'll be honest with you. I don't know the answer. You hear that, YouTube? Okay. You hear that turf truth? I just said I don't know. You know what? I'm gonna I'm about to make heads explode. Oh boy, because, here we go. No Let me get a rubber yeah. on first. Yeah, because I'm one of the few lawn and landscape people here in Hawaii who complied with that restriction regarding Ronstar and residential turf all along. Mm -hmm. However, and this is even in recently sprigged, you know, Zoysia, Bermuda, St. Augustine, etc. And here's how I did it. Oh boy. A week or two after sprigging, first application is cinnazine. At approximately oh. a pound per acre. Yep. You, you sir, have some grass ones. You... Yeah, see, okay. I just don't have the balls that, to do that, right? We've talked about it before, is... and I I get risky, but... Wow. That's risk I don't okay. have in me. Okay. Yeah, you, I, I, you know I don't what? think I could do that. You know what? <laughs> what I've seen out of that is... Because I'm working on actual dirt or heavy clay, I don't have a problem with it. But if somebody is on mostly sand, I'm going to tell them don't. And the reason why I'm going to tell them don't is because that simazine needs to bind to the clay in order to not leach down and get into the roots of the turf excessively. But barring that, say somebody didn't drop down that one pound of simazine and eight ounces of banvil. Okay, say somebody didn't, and now they have things coming out. Week three or four is when I start applying a combination of revolver, Celsius, and carfentrazone. And what oh, that will okay. do is that's going to fry out anything that has emerged you know in that time frame and it'll do it with minimal damage to the desirable bermuda and and, let and i think you can get right away now, with this yard in the I, is I, I go, go ahead, ahead and budget for the revolver in celsius uh start making planes for it now because when you see the price of it you're going to have a court coronary um if you can get in on a group buy with somebody and just score as much as you need um, I understand it's, it's an expensive acquisition, but it is a lifesaver in terms of performance. If you don't want to go that route, uh, an alternate that is, uh, a little bit more affordable on the cost per acre rate, but has a little bit less revolver. So not quite 
the same level of efficacy would be uh, tribute total. Um, I was just going to say that, Matt. Yeah, a little, you know a what? little expensive on the cost per acquisition, but a bit more palatable than uh, getting uh, um, and you know what? revolver that leads me, you know That leads me to another point is that I forgot the fourth component of that post-sprig tank mix. I normally end up adding either monument or certainty to that three herbicide combination because I'm also dealing with emerged nutsedge and or kailinga in the spreading. Uh, Yard Envy, do you deal with a fair amount of nutsedge? Oh yeah. Oh, do you? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. So then you know what you know what, sir? What I see in your future when you sprig is literally a bottle of tribute total and a yeah. bottle of quicksilver. I mean, you might as well just Accept that as your fate, because by the way, even when I, you know, nuked lawns with Benville and Simazine, the only thing <clears> that <throat> I didn't take care of was the nutsedge that still broke through, Matt. As toxic as that was, the nutsedge still broke through that. So, <laughs> yeah, I I that's think my answer. I yeah, and uh, you know, I was, was kind of putting this down. The the simazine is here's the thing: if if you are not confident in your application technique, if you're not confident in your uh, equipment, if you're not confident in your nozzle selection, um, you, you know, I would just I would steer you to be a, a little bit leery of that. That that's something that comes with significant experience, calibration, um. Yeah, no, no other real way to sugarcoat that. That's it's it's well, it's different. <laughs> speaking of that, right? It's a good segue here, real quick, into what sprayer are you running, Yard Envy? Uh, it's nothing fancy. I bought it at the uh, co-op. It's a uh, yeah, Is it a pump sprayer or a battery powered one? I believe it's it's battery powered Revolt. I think. Is the name of it? Okay. It's nothing fancy. It's like 150 bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Th- those, you know, I-, I think in our study of those, the pressure that comes out of those kind of pre prepackaged or default right out of the factory relative to the nozzle and tip sizes on there, you can get a lot of drift and you're you know they give you some suggested rate or you know carrier volumes of what you should be getting out of there and everything like that have you been able to calibrate that sprayer and verify like hey i guess tell me that is like if you put two three gallons in it like you're for sure like hey i know i'm going to cover five thousand square feet whatever it might be are you confident in the calibration okay okay good deal yeah deal okay yeah the only other thing we see is just the kind of the, the drift i'm gonna see there was a picture i had one picture you yeah yeah let me pull okay. this up jay pink and this go is ahead and show that picture what we're talking nozzle the, selection it, can be the name of the game because you got to remember when when with, yeah, with drift that's a pretty good uh depiction there that's drifty we, that's some tokyo drift yeah well that's a lot yeah. of the material prop dust and lost you know and so yeah. if especially if you're spending you know, uh, money that's going to cost, you know, $150 an acre to apply, you know, you don't want 
to lose 20%, 30% of your application that you're applying to just moving off target, right? Uh, because effectively right. what you end up losing is the correct amount of active ingredient that's required to kill the weeds. And then you get a, uh, a, a lackluster response from it. And you're like, well, shit, you know, I just spent, you know, $340 on a bottle of, of, uh, of tribute total. And I did not get the kill I was expecting <clears throat> out of it. And that that's where, you know, these, these backpack sprayers, in my opinion, it is one, is this the one you have right here? Is, is this the, that's it. the revolt? Okay. Um, okay. It's absolutely critical to, uh, to, to be a little bit rigorous and be a, a little bit over the top when it comes to nozzle selection. Uh, because your nozzle selection on these types of, of pieces of equipment can make or break you. Um, and as, especially when it comes to managing drift and you know maximizing that dollar spent to return on investment in terms of the kill you get. Uh, when you when you do make an application, as well yeah, as there's a lot of grad there's a lot of graduating I got to do. It's I'm wanting to graduate oh, in grass, you know, yeah. mower. I'm wanting to move up. I'm and I'm at that point where I've hit my rev limiter at where I'm at right now. And like this yeah, is time perfect timing years. for me to come on here. Exactly, I want to go to the next yeah, level. Yep. Yeah, because and, and you know what? Okay, well, go ahead. Ray. You say this, and then I I got a point. Go ahead. Go ahead. Because here's what I'm going to tell you about all of these expensive and potentially risky applications. The only reason why they don't, you know, alarm me or weird me out is because I have confidence in number one, the application is not going to drift. And number two, I'm able to consistently apply a set amount per area every time and do it very easily because you know for me if somebody told me that they had 10,000 or so square feet of lawn or turf to maintain uh, I'd be looking at a certain type of equipment something that enabled me to literally spray it at the rate of a gallon per thousand square feet and do that easily cover taking only a minute to cover that thousand square feet man it'd be nice yeah only thing is that there's a no there's a certain investment involved because uh i use this no i use a spray rig like that where my joke is here we go five 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 and five Five gallons, 5,000 square feet, five minutes. Wham! Show, show it to him. Can we, can, Jay Pink, can we get a picture of Ray Sprayer? Uh, yeah, and yeah let me, I got it one second. Dealing with, uh, working with the backpack he has right now, what mm-hmm. nozzle do you guys think he should go ahead Dude, and transition I, I, to? Because it would not be expensive. <laughs> I would think, I mean, this is just me thinking out, out loud because I don't know and I've not played around with these backpack, these electric backpacks to really know, right, what the pressure output is. But, Ray, I would think like an AI nozzle because we want to we increase droplet size a little bit, right? Still have the efficacy um, mm-hmm. of, of the, on the coverage side, 
but we want to also have a higher pressure. So to me, an AI nozzle probably makes sense. And I don't know what the flow is coming out of those, but I'm going to suspect that a gray or a white, you know, so an 06 or an 08 would be sufficient for Actually, the amount of flow that's coming out of there. You know, Ryan, an 06 or an 08 on foot, that's literally putting down two gallons per thousand square foot. I'd probably you think be that's a problem? Like, no, not a problem. It's just that uh, poor man here is going to do a lot of refilling. Hey, but... hey, hey. Did did Ray... Did, wait, wait, wait. We got to clip this. <laughs> did Ray just advocate for a spray volume that was less than five gallons per thousand? Boys, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, close it up. We're done here. Hell has frozen over. He just tried to what, talk what me is... out that I needed to lower my spray volume. The next thing you see out here is Ray's going to be doing ads, pre-roll ads on YouTube for Permagreen, spraying that yes! 28 ounces. <laughs> Yes, okay. but Ray, the reason Ray's why advertising sprays, I, I could I could pee on turf harder than that permagreen sprays. Okay, right. All right, go on, go on. Do you I'm need sorry. to? Yeah. That's all I'm saying. But, Do you need to? But, but anyway, <laughs> to pee on, what I'm saying on something. What I'm saying. What I'm Maybe. saying is that on foot, your average person would be comfortable using like a AI. 11003 or an AI 11004 nozzle at your average pressures. And by the way, Ryan, do you know why I yes, love sir. the the classic AI nozzles on various sprayers? Is because they can control drift when they're operated between 40 all the way up to 80 or 90 psi. They, they're still still right. able to control it, you know, at that high pressure. So this would be, I think, a fairly inexpensive switch. Um, mm-hmm. So these AI nozzles, AI stands for air inducted. So you're spraying out right now with like some sort of flat fan tip or cone shaped tip or whatever. So the not the droplet yeah. size is very, very fine, very prone to drift. You know, you're either wearing it or it's going to the neighbor's yard, right? Just upwind, mm-hmm. downwind. That's kind of where you're at. So. You know, on the other end of the spectrum, you've got these nozzles that put out big, huge mega droplets that are like raindrop style, right? And that's just mm-hmm. too big for your turf, especially with the kind of height of cut that you're at. So the AI is something in between. So there's a couple holes, little ports on the side of this that suck air into the droplet, right? And it comes out as like a bigger droplet, but it's filled with a ball of air in the, inside of it. Hmm. When it hits the ground, it like explodes and it gives you the same coverage that you would get with the nozzle that Jay Pink is showing right here. Very similar coverage, right? So when it explodes, it turns into little droplets that coat the grass and leaf blades, right? So you get the reduction of drift because you have a larger, heavier droplet with the benefit of when it hits the ground, you get coverage that's very similar to a flat fan nozzle or the cone shaped nozzle that you're used to here. So kind of the best of both worlds. And Ooh, look at this. Look at this. Oh yeah. By that's the way, a beautiful representation right there. Yeah, that is, and you know what it happens at ground zero instead of in the air. Yeah. And you know what, you know what it's <laughs> yes. not showing? Yes. Here's what I'm going to tell you about an AI nozzle. When you have solutions that contain a little bit of surfactant in them, what happens is that those surfactants help that air bubble stay together until it hits the ground. 
And once it does hit the ground, that air-filled droplet then, as Ryan says, it hits the weed, it splatters, and then it covers even more area than what you'd expect. And so I know the majority of my herbicide applications, for example, are all done with AI nozzles on a boom. And that boom Mm -hmm. is normally fitted with like a AI-11003. And so all I do is I just walk and I'm laying down a gallon per thousand square foot as fast as my short little legs can carry me. I think most people that are running these backpack sprayers are running the 11004s, I think. Is that, is that, is that mm-hmm. right? I th- Yeah, I think that's what, what everybody's doing. Uh, I'm, I think a lot I'm of... Writing, I'm making notes about all this, Yard Envy, and so that way I can send yep. it to you afterwards and you're not just like, what yeah. the just happened? Yeah, but then yeah. at that one that 11004, <laughs> what I know about that, at least in my hands, is... The good part about that is that if I'm running a seven-gallon sprayer, which, by the way, I am, then Smaller. yeah, then what happens is that I'm applying a little bit more than you know an actual gallon per thousand, but the coverage out of that is still extremely good, and it all happens fast. Like you know that engine drive backpack that is empty in about five minutes Hmm. it's empty (laughs) and i've just covered five thousand square feet (laughs) yeah well well sprinting (laughs) i think the one (laughs) thing too is uh yard envy real quick one question not uh, sort of related are you on uh the lawnforum.com that's a message board Online, we we had John Ware, the founder of that, on a few weeks back. Are you familiar with that site? Yeah, I uh, I've got the app on my phone, but I'm just not actively on there. I need to get on there. Yeah, so on, I'm actually out uh, of touch with reality. No, that's fine. <laughs> so on the lawn form, there's a fantastic thread about how to convert your sprayer over. John's done a lot of the legwork for you in terms of the uh, products that you need to have and links to things like that, all that kind of thing. Um, on the, There's a T-Jet nozzle thread on there, and I'd encourage you to go on and look at that. We'll send you a link. Uh, we'll have um, J-Pink send you over a link to take a look at that because I think you'll find everything you need there to kind of retrofit your existing sprayer to, to fit the nozzles that you want to have on there and that you'll have a lot better luck with, I think. So... Um, you know, somebody asked in the chat here about like surfactants, things like that. Like, I mean, there's anti-drift aids, like there, there's a lot of different things you can start messing around with. I mean, in, in the ag space, like we don't, it, Ray, you answer me this question, you know, we, we can nerd out here for a second. Why, why in turf do we not talk about specific gravity the way they do in ag spray? The reason why... We don't talk about specific gravity as much as because typically an egg, like we talked about on the burn and return, these Mm. guys are out trying to spray 5 to 10 gallons per acre with a rig speed of 10 to 15 miles per hour. Mm. 
Bingo. And, and so trying to calibrate for that gets very hairy. And when you're dealing with such a small applied volume, it gets even more important. But speaking to surfactants and additives, mm-hmm. having the right surfactant or additive involved in your tank mix can often make the difference between the application working versus not working. Like, for example, you know that mix that I described a, a few moments ago with the, the Celsius, the revolver, and the certainty? Mm-hmm. I've, ha- I've had my, my golf guys in my state complain to me, tell me that, oh, that didn't work for shit on on you know the carpet grass that they were trying to get rid of. And so I, I drilled in a little deeper and I asked them, okay, so what kind of surfactant <clears throat> did you add into your spray mix? And they told me, huh? Huh? And I said, wait a minute. <laughs> if you want your product to work, like when you're dealing with Revolver and Celsius, the yeah. preferred surfactant is nestled seed oil. Yeah. That is your preferred surfactant. And you'd be amazed at what you can kill when you have a half a percent nestled seed oil as part of that tank mix. I believe it. Okay, so let, let's get back to, you know, Dart Envy said something that, that kind of struck a chord with me of like, hey, he's redlining, he's ready to pop that clutch, right? <laughs> it's time to go into fourth gear. We're not ready to go to fifth gear just yet. Like we're not there yet, but we're roaring down the drag strip here, and things are looking good. Okay, they are looking mm-hmm. good. He's motivated. All right. Um. So, gentlemen, I, here's what I'm going to ask you: Is what are the things that you would focus on, right? In order of priority, leading up to him, you know, what would be the start of this next gear? In my, you know, that's that's what I'm, I guess I'm asking. Um, I'll preface my thoughts and just say that I think getting to the newest grass and the best grass is probably something that's in your future. But I would get all this other stuff locked down and be really confident and handled how you're handled, how you're spraying, yeah. how you're spreading all the other like really take stock this coming year, right? Of what all you got, and don't rush into it. You know, especially if you're going to be in a house a while, like, if you know, if you were going to sell and move or something like that, like maybe take a different approach. You know, I'd, I'd go more of the uh, Ray, the Fafo route, right? I can't say it, but mm-hmm. the thrust around and find out, right? I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to ruin this montage. There you go. So, um, I don't know. I think I would, I would really spend the time getting the, the details right and then gearing up for 23 to be a grass shift year in my mind of, yeah. A project and everything like that but what do you all think i mean what would you be focusing on what are the top one or two things that you would say hey if you're gonna take the next 12 months figure this out and master this okay you know whenever somebody tells me that they have more than two or three thousand square foot of grass i always think that my my brain always goes here how am I going to spray a gallon per thousand square foot 
on this area that's over two or 3,000 square foot without killing myself. That's the first thing that I think of. And especially if a reno is in the works, a higher level of maintenance is in the works. I always think about that because I frequently run into these situations where the saddest one I've seen was somebody showed me like, oh, about, you know, half an acre of what's supposed to be highly maintained turf grass. And I asked them, how does this area get treated? And I see this little one gallon uh, hand sprayer come on. I said, okay, okay. Got it. Got it. Understood. And then even worse is I've had people that ha- actually have acreage and that same little one gallon hand sprayer comes out and I won't even talk about their mower because uh-huh. at that point I literally expected a, you know, like a, like a seven blade or a six blade triplex, not, not the bush hog that they showed me. Uh, so what, what I think, I think what you bring up in becoming extremely proficient, I mean, not just comfortable, but proficient with a spreader and a sprayer. And I I saw a picture on Twitter earlier of even on a golf course, I think they were fertilizing a, um, a tea box or a, uh, not a, not a tea box, uh, the, the practice range and, you could see where they made their passes at the end, right? Where they did the turn and they had a beautiful turn mark in fertilizer of nice, beautiful, dark green grass. Um, and it's, it's little things like that with the spreader that can be the difference where you'll look at it and you'll even think, you know, where you, you may have cut off the spreader a little early and you may think that, man, what is wrong with this area of grass? And that pattern may not mm-hmm. be completely obvious to you. And you're like, I can't figure it out. I don't know what the hell's going on with it. And it's something as simple as you flipped off the spreader two feet too soon. And flipping it off two feet too soon is the difference between looking like you've got an area of disease or, you know, it needs more water or something. You're scratching your head, banging your head against the wall. When in reality, it was something as simple as the spreader mishap, right? So I think those are absolutely clutch. Uh, Spreader and sprayer proficiency are an absolute must. Now, to get into a little bit more uh, controversial, I guess, I would say oh boy. Uh, nitrogen management would be, would be also Ooh. the next thing. Strategizing oh, yes. around nitrogen management. And My I favorite subject. We're, 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 <laughs> pending, we, we're pending a soil test right now. And, I, and where you are in Mississippi, it, there's, you, could, you could be all over the map, but you know, chances are you're probably acidic soil. Gauging by the color of the grass in your pictures, I doubt it's anything too crazy. Um, so I think just at least most importantly is understanding the nitrogen management piece of this. Uh, P and K can come. That's easy. That's easy thing. It's just you either apply it or you don't need to based on what your soil test says. But what a soil test does not tell you is how to manage your nitrogen, especially especially now that you're going to be talking about a different level of maintenance that you haven't been accustomed to up to this point, right? When you're, when you're, you're at the red line, you're trying to go to the next level. How do you go to the next level? Really what it comes down to with, with fertilizer, the name of the game 
And that next level is nitrogen management. And you can overcomplicate this and say, well, you know, oh, you know, you got to apply certain types of micronutrients, this, this, and this, and this. Yet you can, but really your dominant force that you have to get right for everything else to work right is nitrogen. So I think that's something to talk about here. And I think another thing to, to put into the total picture before we start jumping into this is your travel schedule, right? You know, and yeah. is it something that you want to be applying every two weeks or are you looking for something that can you get away Hell by yeah. going four weeks? Can you go by, can you get away with going six weeks in between fertilizer applications? And, and the, the truth is, is you can, you can, it can be done be much. You have to be much more cognizant of what you're using in terms of nitrogen sources in order to get away with that effectively and predictably, right? Yeah. Uh, okay. So who who wants to who wants to talk about you know quick release versus slow release nitrogen sources and what's out there and you know what may or may not be prime for uh uh Mississippi. How, uh, first question is how often can you apply? Like what what would be your Knowing your your personal life schedule, you know your commitment to the grass, all that kind of stuff. Like, what's a real deal thing, or a real deal time frame in terms of how often you think you can apply? Once Not a week, what you want a... to, but like worst case scenario, this is all yeah. I'm going to be able to do. Yeah, once every two weeks, no, once can, every four I weeks, can... once every six. What? I'm I'm uh, I'm home for two weeks straight at a time with nothing to do but honeydew list and yard work. So, I mean, <laughs> after that, I got an 18 year old that loves gas Ooh, money yeah. and he'll do, he'll do whatever <laughs> daddy tells him. So, uh, <laughs> I can do of, whatever I need of, to do. That's a big old carrot you got on that stick, dad. I'm telling you what right now. <laughs> okay. That's, that's going to ruin because... his social agenda. If he doesn't do that, that fertilizing. Right. So he's he, going to get real. He works. This. Yeah, he works for me when I'm gone. So his stripes ain't as good, but but I can apply (laughs) whenever I need to. Okay. Okay. So go ahead, Ray. You tell you tell him about the let's say the once every two to four weeks. What are you laying out here? What are you saying? Okay, here's my here's my four week nitrogen program, and this is geared towards real cut turf, and. It's going to be a little bit surprising, and it's going to circle back to why I am hammering on the high-speed and accurate spray equipment is because here's the problem with shortcut turf, like shortcut Bermuda. Your typical slow-release granular fertilizers may have issues when you're dealing with something like shortcut Bermuda, because the granule is going to sit up top. The prill size is going to sit up top. Now, the way out of that is you got to start talking about mini or greens grade fertilizers. But last time I looked at a bag of greens grade fertilizer, that stuff was 65 to $70 a bag. My price as a professional applicator and lawn person. So the other, the other way out of it is I use something called stabilized nitrogen. 
And what stabilized nitrogen is, is it dissolves and sprays like any other soluble nitrogen, except what you can get out of that one application is four weeks or longer out of that single application. And you don't also have to deal with the problem of, oh, there's a coated granule sitting on top of the turf that if my mower picks it up, it's either gone or the reel just cut the granule open. And so now I get nitrogen dump. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about that uh, because like what that stabilized nitrogen does for me is it makes it so that four weeks, five weeks out, the grass is still maintaining good color. Whereas if I'm doing it with like all non-stabilized nitrogen, week three is starting to kind of, you know, not be as green. Week four, you know, this lawn needs fertilizer. And by week five, uh, the lawn has fallen down on its face. Because the other thing about dealing with shortcut grass is when possible, you don't want the grass to be going through highs and lows with its nitrogen. You kind of want it to be on one plane at all time, and that plane is not necessarily as high as it can go because, you know, when you're dealing with shortcut grass, with nitrogen, less is more. Okay? Hmm. And I'm talking about you're looking at no more than a quarter pound to a half a pound of nitrogen per month total of growing season. Which flies in the flies in the face of a lot of recommendations, right? And that's the other thing, too, here is that you're going to have everybody and their brother say, man, you got to put one pound a month down on that. Just, send, you know. And you got Matt Martin who, you know, does a spite application <laughs> to to an ornery customer of listen here, old man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you th- <laughs> give you a couple I'm pounds not, of ammonium I'm not, nitrate. I'm not smiling. I'm uh, thinking about there's... it. My blood pressure's boiling. I'm upset. <laughs> there's sometimes Matt there's sometimes Matt where I'm having a bad day or I'm looking at bad grass and I think, you know what, if Matt Martin was here right now. He'd be getting cussed out, and all he would do is go back on his truck and get like three more bags of fertilizer and just dump them all over this lawn. Snow. And I get a smile. Throw it. And I move on. Send it. I would snow the yard. Mm-hmm. I verbed the word snow and applied it to fertilizer. I am snowing lawns. Of course, no. I can't say I haven't done that myself because Ryan. When I had, back in the old days, smart aleck, uh, you know, mowing people, guess what I would do to them? Oh, hit them with a medieval torture device? I don't know, Ray. What do you think? Pound of N from Yara 111. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Pound of N from... From Yara. <laughs> that's going to say, that's going to be full send for sure. So, you know, go ahead. And for those of you that don't know what that is, Yara is a product where they make it a little different in that 
your typical process for making ammonium phosphate involves sulfuric acid. What Yara does is instead they incorporate nitric acid into the process. So then essentially they're generating ammonium nitrate. And so when the grass gets a hold of that, it grows like mad. <laughs> so, Ryan, yeah. let me hear. I know. I think you've got a little bit different method of of managing nitrogen. I know. I know. I do. From what I just heard, like you know, I do agree with Ray. I think stabilized nitrogen is a great way. What would be your approach to managing nitrogen? In this I know particular you have a favorite, case, I know you have a favorite. Oh, but not in southern Mississippi. I mean, not, not, not. I don't know that I would go with methylene urea in southern Mississippi, right? Like, I would. You know, I would a hundred percent. I don't. I don't. I don't know it enough. I'm just. I'm just. You know. I'm projecting. Like you project. You know that you think everybody here eats a Tim Hortons and wears red flannel and you know a denim tuxedo, which we don't. I'm just projecting what I all I all I picture of Southern Mississippi is Mobile and Brett Favre playing football in the backyard and Wranglers. Like that's literally <laughs> like my interpretation of how Southern Mississippi is. So and the coppers, case, give her right? a go, bud. Give her a go, bud. <laughs> <laughs> so in this case, like Canadian. I if if I was <laughs> shut up. He looked hey, at it really good. I had to explain it was from another country, foreign language. <laughs> if I was really going to take it to the next level, I would be just, you know, I really want to see the soil test first, but if we're just talking about N only, I mean, I'm probably urea, you know, half three yeah. quarters of a pound a month. And I'd love to spray it. If I could, I mean, that would be the ideal situation and really like dial it in. But if you had to spread it, as long as you can water it in almost immediately. And this is where, this is where the stabilized nitrogen comes into effect, right? So real quick for Yard Envy and for all of our listeners, Matt, real quick, why don't you go into the two different stabilization uh, chemistries that we have in NBPT and DCD and what those things do on the front end of the back end of the application to help us out in terms of stabilizing that nitrogen. Yeah. So, uh, MBPT and DCD, uh, we'll just kind of group them all together. Uh, in butyl thiophosphoric acid, I think is what MBPT is. Uh, and then DCD is diacyanamide. Uh, effectively they're going to achieve two different things. One is going to, uh, inhibit an enzyme that exists in soil and water even. Uh, called urease. Uh, when you apply urea, uh, it has to go through a conversion process before it becomes immediately available to the plant. And this happens incredibly quickly. Understand that. Uh, but uh, urease, uh, urease is the enzyme that will take urea and convert it into ammonia, uh, which is then plant available. Um, so by applying <clears throat> a urease inhibitor, you are slowing the conversion of urea to ammonia. So it doesn't necessarily um, extend the, the life of, it, it doesn't extend the release of urea. It slows the conversion. And so on that initial front end, 
it's a bit of a, a, a urea release delay. It would be a little bit more still a simple way to uh, uh, talk about that, but it would delay the availability of urea, thus um, giving, and, and the idea there is by slowing that conversion of urea to ammonia is um, you you increase the efficiency of it, right? Because ammonia being a gas, uh, you can lose that to the atmosphere if not incorporated and stabilized within the soil, right? So if you apply a surface application of urea uh, on the surface, it can volatilize relatively quickly. And that's where we get the term volatilization of nitrogen. So a, uh, a, a urease inhibitor improves the efficiency. You lose less to the atmosphere. It delays that conversion and thus uh, it delays the immediate availability, thus in a by proxy kind of extending the life of the urea uh, because you just don't dump it all to ammonia so quickly. And then with MBPT is um, you have a denitrification inhibitor there. So as it goes from ammonia and ammonium uh, to, you know, nitrates, nitrites, nitrates, uh, then you have that denitrification inhibitor, which will again, slow that process down. So it's, it's a bit, if you're using one that contains both MBPT and DCD, uh, you're kind of doubly protecting yourself across the lifespan of the nitrogen. So anyway, kind of a complicated explanation there, but at least to uh, explain the advantage of using something like uh, a, a, denit- a, a, a urea stabilizer. And here's the other thing. Here's kind of a, a budget thing some people don't know is you can buy Umax, Uflex, and, uh, and you know, you pay X number of dollars for that. Um, the real redneck thing to do, and this is kind of some top secret stuff that, that I used to do, is um, <laughs> you, you heard right, is you can buy uh, a concentrated MBPT and DCD and roll your own Uflex or Umax. And uh, there's lots of different options out there like Hydrex or Infix. Hydrex. Um, and and you know they all all play into this. Uh, I like Infix better than Hydrex personally. In fact, there's another one that I like better than all of those because of the concentration of MPPT to DCD in it. Um, ultra ultra low use rate stuff and secrets. Yeah, a little bit harder yeah. to find, but I'll put it in the in the notes so that way you can find it. But effectively, you know, how much are you going to be saving over the course of the year? Is you know you may be saving a few bucks or whatever. I come at it from the standpoint that I had to do that because if I saved a few bucks on a yard and then multiply that out by, you know, 400 yards, then all of a sudden, you know, I'm, I'm saving a couple grand a year and that, that makes more sense to me. So a lot of times it's easier just to get Uflex or Umax. It's already built in. It's done. It's a fantastic product and you don't have anything to worry about. Uh, for the, the applicators at home that are hearing this, you know, you can buy Hydrex or Infix and, um, and effectively roll your own Umax or Uflex and save you a couple bucks off the top there. There you go. And uh, uh, I, I have a third. I have a third one for you. The third way to do this, and I've seen this work quite well on shortcut warm season turf, is a third rate of good old Scott's Turf Builder. This is going to sound like heresy, but. Here's what Scott's Turf Builder is. We just got it on is turf Shit. Ammonium nitrogen. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. 
ammonium nitrogen and nestling urea and it's also formulated in the equivalent of greens grade so you'll have no problems dealing with that granule on real cut turf that and, and that's the fallback right yeah that's like and the what? that's like the out that's like the out because ryan when yeah. a consumer that is maintaining their own lawn and they're using a real mower comes up to me and asks me what should i be giving my lawn and i tell them apply no more than one pound actual of scott's turf builder every month not one pound of nitrogen but one pound of the actual granule per month where is this coming from <laughs> me oh okay 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 so yeah i was I, gonna say yeah the, the way i would approach this is I, I agree with the uh stabilized nitrogen but i would jump start at times of the year with a slow release granular um so i would probably uh kick off the season with an application of of uh like a 50% slow release, 50% straight and um, a straight, straight quick release urea. And I would probably look for something that has like a duration 45 or a duration 90, even something that high. Or if you can't find that, I would go the route of like methylene urea or Mesa uh, from Lebanon Turf, Proscape, and, you know, somewhere around that 50 50 mark. And I would jumpstart things as it's you know, breaking dormancy and starting to move into full green up, I'd go hot. I would go at a full pound of in there uh, just to hurry up and get through that period of establishing cover, right? So that way, when you got the temperatures, it's rocking and rolling. You hurry up, you get coverage. Then you can maintain from that point with your, uh, with just your applications of, of stabilized nitrogen. Now, where that's going to set you back is that probably that that mid-season scalp you're going to have to do to reset your uh, uh, your node cut is that it's probably going to happen a little earlier because you're going to come out of the gate growing a bit more vigorously than you anticipated. Um, so there is a little bit of a net drawback, but uh, it should get you to full coverage. Uh, it's not you're not going to green up any faster, but that initial coverage period, theoretically, in my opinion, in my experience. Uh, I get there a bit quicker coming out hot and heavy on the front end uh, and then being able to scale it back based on closer to demand uh, <clears throat> as as we move a little bit later into the into the growing season. So charge it with a with a with a granular fertilizer hot and heavy and then uh, uh feed it out the rest of the season with you know smaller uh uh spoon feed rates of, you know. And you know, yeah. Ray likes a quarter pound to a half pound. I'm I'm more of a of a half pound to three quarters of a pound. Um, I definitely would not be doing three quarters of a pound in a single application, even if it's from <laughs> a stabilized nitrogen source. That is that's some hot sauce coming out, and I mean, it, it would be an absolute bitch to keep up with. So, um, you know, definitely, if yeah. you're going to go as high as three quarters of a pound, you got to split that up into two halves. And that leads me to another point. Uh, you know when you're maintaining real low what are your plans as far as plant growth regulators are concerned and the reason that's why that's one asked, of the questions I had okay 
Oh and boy, the reason, here we go. No, and the reason why I ask is because typically when you have Bermuda that is kept green enough with nitrogen, there comes a, a line that you've crossed where, to give an analogy that uh, Ryan can understand, the engine is at full throttle and you're at red line and you go any faster, something's going to blow. And there you go. what it is, is that typically when I can get grass acceptably green on nitrogen, I've reached the point where mowing is hard to keep up with. Okay. I know it's getting enough in when in absence of a plant growth regulator, mowing's tough to keep up with. And what I typically do in that case is I start to employ plant growth regulators like Tranexapac, uh, there's a couple others that I use in combination with Trinexapac uh, when it's appropriate, but I could imagine a program uh, consisting of spoon-feeding low rates of stabilized nitrogen and Trinexapac as your foundational program to enable you to even live with you know, your lawn. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to do more research and 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 really dig into plant growth regulators, but I I see where because of my schedule, I was gonna ask y'all how I could use that to to help me as far as you know what I would you, you know, know what I'd be benefits doing? for the grass plus my schedule. You know what I'd be doing before you know leaving town to go to work for the two weeks that you're not there. That is when I do this. I'd mow it one time, one more time, and then I'd growth regulate the bejesus out of it before leaving. (laughs) Okay, I mean, I I would just growth regulate the heck out of it. (laughs) I would almost steer you towards. uh, And tell me this: just watching the success, I have no experience with a new, but watching the success of people with a new. Uh, I wonder if that would be more applicable in this situation because you got to think going by growing degree days in South Mississippi, that can get pretty tight in in summer, oh, yeah. you know, where, you know, in okay. two weeks, you may be rolling up on 200, 225 growing degree days. Okay, Matt, I have to kind of, you know, caution you in that the prolonged duration of a new is only applicable for cool season grasses Uh, in warm season grasses uh, it's short-lived however the flip side is do you know what i use a new for i use a new to rapidly induce regulation like my typical tank mix is cutlass plus a new the cutlass will take a week or two to start working but then uh based on what the new farm people have told me a new starts regulating growth in as short as two to three days under average conditions. It's fast. And that leads me to my other point is that if I were maintaining a lot 
of common Bermuda being maintained at a moderate but low lower height of cut, I'd be looking at this other plant growth regulator called cutless. And the reason why I'd be mm. looking at it Ooh. is uh, is because is because it is has hardcore. a yeah. But then cutless has big a big very big money, big money, no whammies, and stop. It has a it has a very prolonged action. You know, at label rates, I've seen it last as long as thirty to forty-five days. Hmm. You know, you know, it, it's just something to consider. Although it, it, the initial price tag on it is stupidly high, to put it nicely, but your amount used is rather low, okay, and it's only sold in gas money. <laughs> I was thinking of something else. What did Sean Smith use that uh, he had some problems with? Edgeless. I don't that. Edgeless. Edgeless. Oh. Okay. Edgeless. Okay. I was confused. And, and you know, and you know what his you know what his problem was. Both Sean and James had problems with Edgeless because they were applying it to, I think, the very varieties of turf grass that you should never use cutlass on like for example if yard envy told me that he was dealing with something like uh tiff 328 i tell him no cutlass because cutlass gets very strange on dwarf and semi-dwarf bermuda especially if it's being maintained at lower heights of cut whereas something like 419 or even common bermuda as long as you have a monostand of common bermuda i don't see any issues with something like uh cutlass or combinations of cutlass with other pgrs you know it all depends on your actual variety and knowing your your cultivar because even though yeah. all of these PGRs say they're labeled for Bermuda, there's big differences in how each cultivar reacts to the various PGRs. Like, for example, I would never subject Tiffgrand, for example, to Cutlass Ryan. I'd never do it. And you know why yeah, I'd never do I think, it? Well, you don't me. It's because Cutlass or fluoroprimidol tends to not do very well on semi-dwarf and true-dwarf Bermuda. In fact, on the labeling, there's a specific prohibition against applying it to Bermuda grass greens. It's just a, a do-not-do. All the more reason that Yard Envy's not going to do is green, right? At least not yet. Maybe exactly. that'll be the when we shift to the fifth gear. When we shift into fifth gear. So we're we'll coming just put up on a two single hours. Green. A single green, right. Exactly. With many T's. One though, green. Because it'll still be 18 holes. So, okay. <laughs> you know, we've covered a lot. I think, you know, uh, I think in my mind, right, it's a lot of perfecting the art in 2022 to get ready for the big shift in 2023. That's, that, that's how I see it in my mind. Certainly you can speed it up, but really, 
you know, your time frame is going to be, you know, spring of each of those years to really set the stage and change grasses. But, you know, I got to say, you know, as a, as a whole, I thank you for putting your content out there. Something that people might not know about you is that you do all of your shooting, your editing, and your uploading on your phone because you don't have high-speed internet at your house, not because you don't want to, but because the utility regulators of uh, the state of Mississippi just haven't got it down there just yet. So they're working on it. But uh, again, kudos to you for taking the time to not only do this and make, you know, enter this journey and really just try to dive in full scale. I love that part of it, but I love it even more that you're trying to share it with people. And I'll be honest with you, a big reason we, we, we brought you on was just that we could tell that you wanted it. Like you were, you were really after, um, uh, the next having level. a great lawn, the next level of having a great lawn and trying to do the best that you could with what you had. And I'll tell you, you always be welcome here because you seem like a great dude. You're trying your best and we'd love to see you get to wherever it is that you want to go. So with that, what other questions, anything else here to wrap up any, any closing remarks? Hmm. For myself, uh, man, sure. uh, I've got a lot to get ready for. Uh, but yeah, like you said, I need to get, you wouldn't, you wouldn't get a herd of cows before you build a fence to put them in, you know? So yeah. I need to get everything, my, get my gear right, get, uh, get my mind right, get a plan before I ever do it. Or I'll end up like I did with a bent grass fail when I tried to overseed. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. oh man. I don't even want I don't even want to think about that in Southern Mississippi, but no, seriously, I think this is going to be one. And, you know, uh, we've talked about this, you know, on our on our own end internally of, you know, who do we want to have back, you know, next year and, you know, talk about the update. Like, where are they at? <laughs> definitely, definitely, you know, want to talk to you. You know, this is like a doctor visit. Like, all right, Yard Envy, you know, we want to see you back here in, you know, six to eight months. You know, let's talk it over. Let's look at your lab results and and see where we go from here. Right. You know, so um, I'm down with it. You know, <laughs> I, 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 we are, too. We are, too. All right, now, real quick here, we are about ready to go into the after show. Ray, you've been to the after show. Yard Envy, I think you've seen the after show, and if you haven't, let me brief you on it real quickly. It's man talk and girl talk. We don't discriminate between the genders. We really don't care, but it is adult talk, right? We talk about things that might make some uncomfortable. We talk about things that, um, well, we use some coarse, crass, and otherwise uh, rough language you, can, you know, from time to time to look at you know different things that are out there in the world right now okay so if you do want to be a part of that you have the opportunity right now to slide down there to the bottom click the membership button go ahead and join that jump on here it is only the cost of matt says an airport beer but where the way inflation's going it's going to be maybe a beer you know a beer and a half roughly you know maybe a beer and a shot something like that all right please jump on there you know subscribe for sure join our membership and also we've got patreon so uh www.patreon.com forward slash burn return check that out too if you like our podcast otherwise otherwise we'll see you all next week right we've got a great show ahead of us special guest surprise guest coming up next week and in two weeks if you're so fortunate as to come and have been a member of the channel we'll see you live in person no recording no live show nothing other than in person in Louisville, Kentucky at GIE Live. With that, thank you so much. Have a fantastic evening, and we'll see you next time.